Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets kicked off the critical three-game stretch that will determine their fates, as told to you by us, the Locked On Nets podcast, and they do not get things started in excellent fashion, falling to Cleveland. We break down what went wrong and pose questions around rotations, all coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR, for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Armour, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. Let you know. This episode is brought to you by the Ultimate Basketball GM. If you've ever dreamt about becoming an NBA GM and managing a basketball franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimatebasketballgm.com or look it up in the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code all caps locked on in the game. And Doug, we set it. We set the table. It's only ourselves to blame here when you say that the Brooklyn Nets are entering a critical three-game stretch. This Cleveland matchup, we're going to go through all the little nooks and crannies of it. But ultimately, it's a game that the Nets came out strong to start, but just didn't seem to have enough to sustain. Yeah, um, you know, they came out strategically and did some things that I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, the Cavs solved it almost immediately by the by the right. second quarter, and, and away oh, you went. Cute. And then... And they met, and we could talk about what some of that was. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it was like kind of interesting and worth noting probably a little bit later here in the podcast. But just on a high level, you saw what sort of happens when you go against a really talented team and you don't have as much talent. And, and I hate to like just be have it be that simple because it's not. There's other things that are definitely going on here, right? But in when there's only 10 guys on the court for the most part, and the other team has at least two of the best and maybe three, depending on where you want to rank like bridges against Mobley. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a very difficult thing to do. It's going to be very difficult to win these games. And I'm not saying they're foregone conclusions. They're clearly not. I'm not even being defeatist. Like I think the nets could have won this game. So like, it's, it's not even that it's more to highlight how difficult it is for, for the nets. What we're learning yeah. about the nets right now is it's very hard. Like this is hard. Like when they have to play these teams, where they are out talented, everything has to go right for them. And when those and 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 actually, it's crazy. They had some things go crazy right for them in this game. <laughs> like we'll get into some of the stats. Some of the stats in this game were like totally flipping the script on what the Nets usually do. But in the end, the backcourt stuff for the Cavs was too much. The Nets can't make any threes all of a sudden, or actually not all of a sudden, kind of for a while now. Yeah. And this becomes the story. And if this is going to be the story for the team, what we talked about yesterday about this three-game stretch, it's hard to see a lot of ways out of it. It's a make or miss league for sure. But yeah, this is just this is just kind of what happens, even just like on a talent level in, in the NBA. 
Yeah, 115-109 is the final. The Nets make try to make a little bit of a late push there in this game. It's not as close as the final scoreline tells you, but there was at least this little tiny like glimmer of a moment where like, they, they can make a push. But you mentioned the stat there that's been kind of plaguing them now of late, and that's the perimeter shooting. In a game where the Cleveland Cavaliers play a slow pace, they're very methodical, and it, it benefits them when you have a Donovan Mitchell, when you have a Garland. You mentioned Mobley, Jared Allen, right? All these things lean into them. The Nets took nine more shots in this game than Cleveland, but they were outshot 50-44 overall, and then nine for 33 for the Nets from beyond the arc. You know, 27% for a team like this, as we know, that is not perfect, that isn't you know the final iteration of what we think could be a, a playoff team that could be highly competitive, they need the three ball to fall. And when those looks aren't happening, the fact that they came out of the first quarter up seven, by the way, before, before giving up, they flipped the script here, Doug. They had been giving up monster quarters to start games and then trying to get themselves back on track. This one, they gave the fan base that, hey, 30 to 23. Like, if we clamp down defensively and you're a slow-paced team, you try to figure it out. Well, they did, as you said at the top, very quickly. And that second quarter becomes the 38 point, the third quarter, 33 points. And really, everything after that first quarter was Cleveland just basically saying, we are the better team, and our backcourt is a backcourt that is going to give you nightmares once they get into their rhythm. They played um, very patiently in the first quarter, Mitchell, Garland, and then well, in that second and third quarter, they really took things over, and, and because they effectively broke down what the Nets tried to do. Yeah, so what the Nets were trying to do in that first quarter was they were trapping the high pick and roll um, against Garland specifically, and there was three possessions in a row where it looked like Garland was really lost. Like it probably wasn't part of the game plan. Nets don't trap like that a ton. They usually just switch and pass everybody off. Right. Um, but with these two guards, it was like, Hey, if we can be super disruptive with these two guys, leave the other shooters like the Okoros of the world, right. Just like wide open. Karis LeVert can be wide open. Like those guys are allowed to shoot as much as they want. Um, and we're just going to be really disruptive at the point of attack. And it actually did cause some problems. Like that was why the Nets, among other things, were able to really hold them kind of in check in that first quarter to only 23 points because they were able to force turnovers. They were able to just really get the Cavs out of the rhythm. But by the time the second quarter came around, the, the Cavs made adjustments. And you, that's why all of a sudden you started to see like real confusion. Like the Nets couldn't keep the screen. They couldn't keep at the level on the screens. And then Garland and Mitchell to some degree also were just kind of able to work their way in. And then that's why the points and that's why the, the Cavs were able to just start working into the big men because then it's pick your poison. Like it's, yeah. that's only going to work for so long. You can't just trap these guys the whole game. So anyway, I did like the net strategy to start this game. I, I thought that was the right move. I'm not surprised it didn't work the whole time. Like that's just not going to work the whole time. It's just meant, it's meant to kind of make you think <laughs> more than it is to actually uh, be a problem. But what we saw in the second quarter on was that, yeah. Once the point of attack defense from the Nets in, con you know, in conjunction with the Nets not making any threes, like these two things happening simultaneously, this is where you saw the game start getting out of hand because they could not stop the, they couldn't stop the pick and roll at all. They couldn't stop the guys working their way into the paint. And then that's just going to leave open shooters and, 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 and away you go. So strategically, I like what the Nets did. Um, I, I do think it's like they're, they're undermanned to a point where this isn't like all that surprising. And we're just getting it highlighted that like if the Nets, even when the Nets do things correctly, if they can't hit the threes, like you said, right? Like, what what are we doing? I like they, they can't win. They can't win. It's that's it. Like, and, and I'll, after the break, a little bit, I'll give you another stat, which is going to make you really 
you're going to head to the Doug Norrie town of like, you know, hair management because because <laughs> there's another Just, stat here. There's another stat here that's going to drive you nuts. But like in general, it's like even when they do some things right, they have to, again, they have to have everything go right. Everything needs to yeah. go correctly. They cannot, there's, they have no margin for error with this stuff. And that's really, you know, the, the good counter punch or the first punch and then not having the counter punch, not having the second step. And that just comes down to, you said it all the time on this podcast. We used to say it when we had Kevin Durant, it's that's why you have Kevin Durant, because guess what? He's the great overcomer of other deficiencies. The Nets don't necessarily have that. And we're going to get into those stats and what Doug Norrie is violently shaking his hands about in just one second after we take a trip down to Dugtown of hair management we will also tell you about what i mentioned at the top and that is the ultimate pro basketball gm i've said this before you ever dreamt about being an nba gm i would have made some different choices probably gave the superstars that's me you do it a different way if you're joe sign you're sean marks you can go ahead right now though and go through all the phases of hiring coaches hiring assistants trading and training your players and of course going through the draft building your roster and hopefully leading them to a championship I've been having a good time with it. The question I have right now is do I just load up all my assets and go get myself a star? The answer is probably yes. Locked on Nets show listeners are going to get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using promo code LOCKED ON, all caps, all one word in the game store. So make sure to go check it out to download the game. You can visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. And so, Doug, before we get into some other stats, go ahead and, and pick pick up there what was what was getting you ready to start doing the old. I'm not going to use my voice, but I will hand signal. I have something important I want to say. All I was going to say was uh, like the reason you trap a guy like these guys like Mitchell and Garland is because you know you don't have like the point of attack defense to like really cause them problems. So you have right. to like gimmick it a little bit. Not like a trap's a total gimmick, but it's a little gimmicky because it's a huge risk, right? Like if you trap someone, then there's just someone else open. It's a double team. It's like in a fun way to say double team. So like it, um, you do that when you know you're completely undermanned, right? So when they went back to not doing that, you saw what ended up happening, which is they got completely cooked, yeah. <laughs> right? Like and it's like they knew that was going to happen. They know for as good as like some of these guys are at wing defense, they're just not great point of attack defenders. Garland and Mitchell are significantly faster than everybody else on the nets. Right. So like, I'm just not, I guess my point is I'm not surprised by saying that I'm not surprised it happened. You have to get a little gimmicky at times. Um, But good players like this, like these guys are great players. Like they're just going to solve this stuff pretty quickly. And you mentioned that there too, before we talk about some other key stats here, the, the the shocking areas that the nets won and still lost this game. Um, Talking about a backcourt like Cleveland has and Mitchell and Garland, it really does diminish some of the the defensive value that you have on this roster, the Cam Johnsons, the Mikhail Bridges, the Royce O'Neals, right? Spencer Dinwiddie, even for just having the having the right size, right? The requisite length and size there. It's just the kind of matchups where you go, and those those players are of that caliber. But it's not the it's it's the double down. They're two of the best players on the court, and they expose one of your strengths in a very negative way. And I think that that's what really becomes crippling for this Nets team because you can't just lean on it and go, we'll lock this guy up. And we've seen previous matchups where the length of the Brooklyn Nets defense across their roster overall has helped them. Doesn't make a difference when you're playing Mitchell and you're playing Garland. Yeah, and then here's the other one that's just going to drive Nets fans totally crazy. So a team that is among the very worst in the league at offensive rebounding somehow tonight gets like the most offensive rebounds they've ever had 
in a game. I mean, this might have been a combo deal on like multiple games. They out-rebounded the Cavs on the offensive glass 19-8. to I, I can personally not remember another time the Nets. Usually this is completely flipped the other way. Like some other team has 19 offensive rebounds, and we're sitting there and just staring at, you know, second chance points, more second chance points, more second chance points. Tonight, the Nets actually were able, it could be mostly because of De'Aaron Sharp, were, were, were able to control the offensive glass. So on a night where they even actually do something that they never do well, ever, yeah. <laughs> like for multiple seasons now, they've totally sucked at this, at this part of the game. They actually do it well. And then for them to still kind of lose by, I, I know it looks closer than it was, but it, it yeah. really wasn't that close. Um, it's just even more maddening. Now, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that the Cavs didn't have to take that many shots. Well, I mean, unfortunately, they made almost all their shots. So when you don't, when you when you oh, make easy. all your shots, you you don't you don't you don't have a lot of chance for offensive rebounds when your ball just goes in every time. So like that also is going to throw the stat off a little bit. But just in general, it's just so funny that we go completely nuts about this all year. Yeah, and finally they crush completely crush another team in it and they get crushed and i'm just like well now you just can't win for losing with this kind of stuff the nets by the way uh, you know they they won on um on points in the paint and again second chance opportunities versus just making your first shots won that 54 44 they won on fast break points 15 to 9 not surprising with the pace of play of the cleveland cavaliers had 25 to 18 advantage in points off of turnovers they ended up by the way the nets i saw this um I was looking this up in game were are the third best in turnovers since the trade deadline had 17 lost that by three in this game. So there's a couple of little ones like that, but just to your point, it's like there's a ton of statistical categories that are in the net's favor and don't let the final tally fool you here. This is a double digit loss for, for the Brooklyn Nets, who, by the way, we're up seven at the end of the first. And at one point we're trailing this game by 24. And as we know, in the NBA, there just are stretches when teams take their foot off the gas a little bit. They see if it's going yeah. to be, Hey, do we need to bring exactly. our starters back in and all, or can we just right. coast here? They did. They had to bring Mitchell back in just to go ahead and bury things. And that's at about the five and a half minute mark, which Doug Nori, this, this show collectively, we are famous for saying the wrong thing at the perfect time and that was well at least this game's going to end quickly they proceeded to go ahead and drag that down for about a 15 minute final three minutes in the fourth yeah uh they just it, it can never go any other way and just to also highlight sort of like a long-term now problem for the nets uh, like you know because we're harping on the three-point shooting we're harping on a couple different issues here for the nets yeah. obviously the talent gap is is first and foremost um and just like sort of just where the team is built, not perfectly to handle certain other. And look, Cleveland's a really good team. So I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Cleveland here. Like Cleveland's awesome. Right. Like they're a really, like they have the best point differential. Yeah. They're the second best point. Dif- no, they're the first best point differential in the East. Like they're playing way under actually. They're probably their Pythagorean record right now. Like Pythagorean wise, they'd be a, the number one seed. So like, this is a really, really good team, but the Nets, you know, continue to struggle. It's not just your eyes, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like we talked the other night about how many threes are just going down and like how many just very close threes are not going down. But this is an ongoing problem since the all-star break and, you know, which is after the trade deadline, but once everyone's sort of gotten their feet wet, and it's just like a nice break point for like where to look up some stats. The Nets rank 25th in three point uh, percentage, 25th. Like that's horrible. You're the only teams that are worse than them since the all-star break in three point shooting. Jazz headed for the lottery. Pistons headed for the deep lottery. Hornets, absolutely total trash. Rockets and Magic. I mean, these are like these are the worst teams in the league, basically. Like, and 
and the Nets, <laughs> right? Like those, yeah. and in a, in, in a league where the three point shot is easily the most important shot outside of just like a wide open dunk. Um, like if this is where you're going to be, this is where your record is going to be. Like you can't yeah. win. There's a reason the rest of those teams are duking it out now for who's going to get Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> right. And then there's the Nets who are like on the edge of the plane. So you just, it just, it's just a macro problem with this team too. They can't hit threes and, and, some of it's probably bad luck, but not all of it. Before we, because um, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about individual players, rotational questions here as the Nets continue to search for a backup center. Maybe they've already had one this whole time in Dayron Sharp. I want to get into that, but let's just tie a bow on this particular first of the three games. We said we're going to be critical. Is it disappointing to have like how? As I said, sorry, how disappointing is it to have it be that the game goes this way in this particular matchup? Because we know they're going to play them again coming up right here. And from everything we discussed over the first nearly first two segments, it's hard to kind of squint and see the way this next game is going to go differently outside of, well, if the threes go down, then all of a sudden it can be a different script early. But all the defensive issues are still going to be there and you're still going to be looking for who can step on the, up on the other end of the floor. Yeah, so, I mean... It can be really hard in the moment to look, to see a game and think about how it could go any dip more differently than it would go now, right? This is why sometimes watching <laughs> right. the playoffs, like sometimes watching the playoffs, is really tough when you've watched two good teams because you're like, oh, they just got killed. They'll never win another game, and then you just play the next game. And the other team wins. I, like this is this is kind of what happens. I, I it doesn't change my feeling too much about the team. It is disappointing because you would have liked to bank one early. It's a home mm-hmm. game. You still you know still have a moderate advantage when you're at home, even though they went into this game as an underdog. I still think there are like little things that could have gone differently here. Like the Cavs still did shoot totally lights out. The Nets couldn't make a three again. Mm-hmm. Macro problems this could swing like, you know, a three shot swing here on some of these threes. And we are talking, having a different conversation. So I don't think they're just dead and buried here by any stretch of the imagination. And there were times when it looked so easy for the Cavs, like Mitchell had multiple highlights that like you do in pickup games. Obviously he he ended Utah's life on that dunk. And then he had a step back three where he basically, it was like a a park move. Like he, Richard it, I, Jefferson I was, couldn't describe it on the broadcast. He couldn't find. I even right, called it a god sham god move. What the move was? He called it a god sham god. Like it, it was. It was sort of a hesitation dribble step back, but he was like stepping back as the ball was like sort of on a string. Anyway, point yeah. being, these are the things that look easy, <laughs> and so yeah. when you see that, it's a little concerning. But no, I, I think that like they could definitely play him again and be in the game. I, I know mm. that, but they're always going to struggle. They don't have they don't have the same level of talent as the other teams. So coming up in a second, we'll discuss if Jock Vaughn has been making a mistake in searching for a backup center with the performance of Dayron Sharp, and I'll highlight why Spencer Dinwiddie might be the most complete player that the Brooklyn Nets have right now. All right, before we get into that, going to tell you about our friends over on FanDuel. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. New customers are going to get no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app now. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scorers and threes drain. Someone tweeted at me the other night. They were talking about how they're like, oh my gosh, can you believe that you can bet on like how many rebounds Nick Claxton can get in the game? I was like, hey, 
take a look at FanDuel. That's just like the tip of the iceberg. What you can do over on FanDuel. That's the easy stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? Rebounds? I mean, we got everything over there. You can get like, no, you can go for exact number of rebounds. You can do same game parlays where you put it all together. You can get first points scored. You know, just you can go scale it all the way up for how many points a guy's going to score in a given game. I mean, it's really gets super granular over on FanDuel. It makes the game super fun to watch. Great sweats every single time. FanDuel lets you combine those bets for a big payout with the aforementioned same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, so let's start with the Dayron Sharp uh, situation of it all. Because there's a guy out there on the court tonight, and we know this is a matchup that's built for him. Made a 12 from the field in 20 minutes of action, a plus 27 on the night. Uh, only one of, ends up being five players, actually, because the bench had a lot of plus minutes for themselves in marginal areas. But 11 rebounds. You mentioned how you know you end up winning the rebound battle by a significant margin. Dayron can do that for you because he'll go ahead and bank that thing off the backboard a couple of times and grab a few rebounds and get back up. Tongue in cheek, but he, he's so active. He is so active and disruptive, and he's not a perfect player, and he doesn't have a shot to his game. But when I watch the game like tonight, or even on the defensive end, where he is no Nicholas Claxton, but is at least athletic enough that when they want to stretch out the bigs to the perimeter – he can move out there. He can stay with someone, push him in the right direction. I do always come back to, because this is the game, and this is the matchup that we say, oh, that's where, where you can play Dayron. He cannot be this good and impactful in a game like this and somehow not be playable any other game of the year. Like I, I am coming to a place here where I'm, there's a little bit of frustration around the idea of like, so this dude must be so horrendous in something that the eye test is not telling me. Look, I can't believe he said he has no shot. He's shooting 60% from three on the season. Six for 10. He drained another one tonight. How dare you? How dare you say De'Aaron Sharp can't? And by the way, I know you're you're joking because it's it's 10. I'm not joking, but he is 60% from three. I'm not joking about that. Yes, it is a fact. That is real. And by the way, like, because six to 10, he doesn't play a lot. Guess what? Have him shoot two, have him play and shoot two a game. Like at a minimum, put him in the game and have him be the one big that you own that could take a shot from the perimeter in some capacity and still be big enough to get you some rebounds. Like it's a small little sample size stat. Only guy you have that can do it. Why not utilize him? I don't know why this is frustrating me now. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I will not to throw cold water on it because this is like easily his best game, 20 and 11, 8 for 12. Like you said, the plus 27 is totally crazy. He played his way and earned his way to, into that closing group that, like, that yep. was trying to make the comeback. So it, it's all good. Uh, I do think the energy, just to like kind of piggyback on something you said, the energy and the motor works until it doesn't because yep. there's times where the energy and motor is just all over the place. Like he's the body's completely out of control. He's in the wrong spots. Like he misses assignments. Um, he's a total foul machine um, at times. And so these are all I the get, other like, things. These are the things I'm I pushing get, under the rug. I know. Look, I don't want to do it. Cause like, he's like, he's, he, yeah, it was great tonight. I, it was awesome. It was fun to watch. I want him to be good. Like I, I really do. We've been rooting for him for a while. I, I do think that the stretch capability that he has, is underutilized. I do think that actually is an issue. Like I wish they would run more pick and pop stuff with him, like which they never ever do. Like the threes that he gets are garbage time, sort of like just he's out there and no, you know, the stakes are pretty low. Mm-hmm. I mean, tonight that one it was kind of like late game. So, you know, I'm with he you. He walks two I, steals I, as well, just in the stat line. 
and they just don't have like that pick and pop game. Like they don't really run that with any of their other personnel. So it's just be like a totally new thing to do with him. Um, I do wish they would try that a little bit more because I think he can shoot. And so, but it's just not part of what their like sort of DNA is on offense. And they, and, and honestly, you know, I guess we'll talk about Dinwiddie here in a second. Yeah. Dinwiddie's been great. Dinwiddie is not a kind of point guard that like makes bigs better. <laughs> and right. this is the other issue. Like, this is not the comparison, but you know, a Chris Paul who's taken every big he's ever played with and made them just amazing, <laughs> essentially. Right. Like Dinwiddie just isn't like that, that kind of guy. He's really, really good at some things, but he's not good at running like pick and pop, pick and roll kind of stuff with with big centers. And the Nets don't want to do it anyway. But I do wish it is underutilized. I, I do. Yeah. We've won. We scratched our head all season about why there isn't more playing time for him. Um, we've said this about multiple guys at times this season, and he mm-hmm. just he falls into that head-scratching category of the team's young. They're not winning the championship. You have to play these guys. Right. <laughs> like, even if it looks bad, even if it looks bad, you have to play them. Yeah, that's as much a part of it, too. And just a good footnote here, um, over the last three games, the last two games, let's just say, um, three or four from the line in each of those last two games against Cleveland against Denver. Again, a big that can consistently make his free throws at times for him. Not something he's done consistently over his young career, but he had been known to be able to do that in uh, college coming out of um, UNC. And the reason why you – yeah, North Carolina, sorry. Um, And the reason why you projected forward, you looked at those percentages, you said – this can be a guy that can knock down those perimeter shots eventually. Let's close out that. I said it there before um, on Spencer Dinwiddie. I do find it, you know, a game like this is interesting to me because one of the things that you notice for like a Mikhail Bridges, who is the best player on this team, but in a game when he goes all of eight, <laughs> just all of eight from beyond the arc, it there was contrasting possessions where going down one way, He's working into the mid-range and knocking down what seems like a very consistent and makeable shot for him. And then you go the other way, and Donovan Mitchell's like, bang, triple. Go ahead. You're down. You're minus one now. Do it again. Nice little mid-range. Bang, triple in the corner on an unmarked Karis Levert. And it starts to get a little bit lethargic there as far as what the game can look like on the offensive end. But Dinwiddie playing 38 minutes, 6 of 15. He's bad from beyond the arc in this one as well. Got to the line eight times in this game. Gave you the uh, 11 assists again, so double-digit assists. Like, Complete game, only guy in the starting rotation that was plus in the plus minus, 19 points. There is something to be said for being a player that regardless of the matchup, regardless of some of the difficulties in assignment, is always going to be able to find a way to have that impact on the game in different ways, right? When it's cooking and the floor spacing is there, Dinwiddie can lean into his perimeter shooting. And he's at least shown the ability, and we know the areas where it's frustrating, but He's shown the ability to say, okay, I need to put my head down now. I need to attack at the basket. I have that little to burst. I'm a longer guard. I have some of that upper body strength to be able to attack. Like, I just, it's worth noting that he has had to, like, kind of evolve his game on the fly coming back in here and say, you're now the point guard. He's been doing an excellent job with it. And I thought when you look at that starting rotation in particular, there's a lot of guys here you can point to and say, boy, when the shot isn't falling for a Cam Johnson, and he had an okay game tonight, four of 11, two of four from deep and got to the line. But when sometimes that perimeter shooting isn't, isn't falling, it's a lot harder to say, but I have great defensive value, right? It's got to be all these guys need to be two-way players consistently for this team to have success. I thought Dinwiddie's first quarter was like as good of a first quarter as he's played all season, play with the Nets. It was so, yep. he was completely locked in. And to the point where, and he only had like four points, I think, but um it was 
it was clear to me that at least in this system, he was beginning to see the angles better. Like he Mm -hmm. was really, really distributing. Like he had one kind of like cross court pass through traffic, which is like actually really not his game. (laughs) Like to, cause one, he's just not big enough to usually make that pass. Um, but he kind of just understood where the shooters were going to be. It was the cam Johnson. I don't know if they made the shot, but like the, the point is that the, the look was great. And I was like, man, he's actually understanding the angles here a lot better. And I agree with you. Like he's been, they've, they've needed him. Like if they had anyone even like 10% worse in his position, the nets would be, it'd be, it'd be so bad. It'd be yes. so bad. Like they, like they have, cause they have no, but they actually really kind of funnily enough have nobody on the team that can do what he does. <laughs> like no. they don't have anyone behind him. They don't have, they have other guys who are like nominal backup point guards. Like Sumner is like kind of a backup point guard. Sumner can't do the things that Dinwiddie can do. Like Cam John- Cam Thomas can do a lot of things, but he's not an offensive facilitator the way Dinwiddie is. And by the way, if you look, I mentioned from the all-star break on, Dinwiddie is sixth in the league in assists since the all-star, oh, sorry, seventh uh, in the league in assists since the all-star break. Halliburton first, though the games are low, it wouldn't matter. He'd be, he's crushing everybody. Uh, Harden, Chris Paul, Jokic, Trey Young, Fred Van Vliet, and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Like th- those are the assist leaders over essentially the last month uh, in basketball. Now, funny enough, uh, Dinwiddie is the only guy in that group that's minus in the plus minus <laughs> when he's on the court. So it's like a little weird about what's happening, but, but, but regardless, um, like he's been very, very important. He's been critical. Like they, they would be getting demolished if, if they had, if, like they had, if they had traded him even for just like some sort of like other combo guard or something like that, like oh, he's yeah, been yeah. super, super important for at least keeping them afloat and a lot of this stuff, just because he can at least dissect some things even if it's not like traditional point guard kind of stuff. And I think the biggest part of that is probably just from a macro level is like being able to get a sample size of, of what the offense can look like, what Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, right? What these pieces can look like. If you have a functional point guard like that, maybe it doesn't end up being Spencer Dinwiddie. And we'll talk about it down the line, but remember going to this offseason and next year and the money and everything else with Dinwiddie, <laughs> you know, hold your horses about like moving on from him and getting value back because unless you have something waiting in the wings, which the Nets don't have right now, He's the guy like you need this player that's capable of doing it. I'll, I'll close out my last thought just by saying um, on, on the Cam Johnson front, he hasn't had some great games of late, but I'm just looking at his box score, which can tell you different things. I think the defense um, was okay in this one. Again, bad matchups, certainly more difficult matchups for him, but the kind of night that he had here, 34 minutes, four of 11, two of four from deep, but then three rebounds, four assists and a steal thrown in there with the 16 points. Like, little bit more, but that's kind of in the range where you'd like to see him consistently, where he's actually touching a lot of the boxes on the stat sheet. He's been a little bit up and down. Everybody has been up and down, especially with the perimeter shooting. I don't know if Dorian Finney-Smith can come out of funks, right, and find a way to impact games consistently. Cam Johnson needs to show this, because they said on the broadcast again tonight, here's a guy that wants the $100 million five-year contract based on what he's done to start his career. You got to showcase that you are a hundred percent deserving of that. It's a big check to cut here for a guy that you're going to have for what 20, 30 games. Yeah. I mean, the stats have not been that great since he came. If he can't hit threes, it's really gets downhill pretty fast on him. So yep. um, we can talk about him a little bit more later this week. I'm sure we're going to talk a ton about him in the off season too, because it's going to be sort of a critical decision. And look, this is small sample size stuff too. So I'm not, it's change of scenery, small sample size. I'm not going to read too much into it. The guy's been, 40% on lock for his whole career from three. Yeah. So I don't think, 
you know, 15 games switches a guy's career. It's been it's been a poor, poorly timed 15 games <laughs> from for where it went down. But we'll talk about uh, more more about him a little later. Appreciate everyone that jumped into YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to Lock on Locked on. That's YouTube uh, to make sure you know when we're going live. Obviously, if you're listening on the podcast feed, this uh, is a live on YouTube. We've got a ton of people in chat asking questions. Much appreciated. So make sure you subscribe to Locked on Nets over at YouTube. Hi, I'm Bob. Would you knock me out, please? Just hit me in the face. Bob Wiley from What About Bob? Also, Bob Wiley, the name of my grandfather, which is always a fun okay. Nori fact. That's my my great my <laughs> grandfather's name, Bob Wiley. We had fun with that one, buddy. That was about the oh, most fun thing. I'm sure. One of the most fun things about him was he was named after Bill Murray's character in What About Bob? And there you go. All right, we are going to get out of here. Uh, one of the all-time great, great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more. And about grandfathers. Well.